Hello, and if you're hearing this, this means that there's a live show, and you should definitely come out to one at 10 Eastern Fridays. That's the next one, unless specially scheduled. Please come on out. I want to see you. There's new girls coming every single week, and it's always so nice to see them. And you should definitely come out, and you should definitely bring requests, because I've got nothing. Nothing this week. I've got nothing prepared. I hope you enjoyed the Bezian joke from last week when talking about one who serves Jeff Bezos in the apocalypse is called a Bezian because I think that's the funniest thing that I've written and probably you're going to get from me all year. If you don't like it, I'm so sorry. That's it. That's the show. That's who we are now. We make references about Jeff Bezos and the apocalypse. I think. I think that's who I'm becoming. Um, I'm just going to just real briefly get into this. Uh, I'm gonna, I can't quite do it Rachel Maddow style, so here's my attempt at doing it Rachel Maddow style after doing 90 seconds of me. Ready? Here we go. <clears throat> okay, so. There was this show called Falling Skies that nobody saw on this network that nobody knows called TNT. TNT? Nobody really understood it. it. It kind of existed in America. I mean, it's still there, but we talk about it in the past tense because it might not be by the time this airs. Uh, it's just, they, they, they would put on shows with very attractive people in their 30s and 40s in dark clothes who would stand around and they would discuss how important things were. Sometimes they'd be lawyers. Sometimes they'd be doctors. Sometimes they'd be investigating bones. Uh, what what have you. You, you, you get the idea. Uh, and it would all just kind of blend together. And sometimes if you'd been drinking or if you, you know, were in a nicer hotel, you could have TNT and you could put it on. And then all the shows all talk together because all the women were white with very dark hair and dark clothing. And they all had lines that sounded a little something like, but if we don't get this filed, then the district attorney is. And he just, it just washes over you. It's real nice. It's real smooth. You let it go. And TNT actually had like a lot of <clears throat> really big and successful shows. They actually had the number one show with women for years and years called The Closer. But the number one show with women was only like really big with women over 50. <laughs> like there was a couple of younger women watched it. So the number one show with women for years that all the advertisers and everything was playing to was showing commercials for, like, diapers and hair dye and shit. But that was far away. Like, the number one show for women a decade earlier before The Closer was Friends, for instance. And then the one afterwards was The Closer with Kara Sedgwick, which had Kevin Bacon's uh, uh, wife, who's a legal lady who yells at other uh, legal people and closes cases. And has trouble in the Dayton circuit. Uh, you know, the plus 50 single woman dating circuit that all the women who listen to this podcast can relate to. It's a good show. It's actually a pretty great show. It's actually pretty solid. I'm, I'm dead serious, too. I'm not even joking. It's pretty good. This, the show is so good, there's a spinoff about all the people she worked with. <laughs> Like, that's how successful the show was. And that show is actually doing okay. Like, that's how good it is. Like, you know how Frasier just kind of happened because Cheers was so good? And then Frasier was like, oh, that's pretty good. Same thing happened with The Closer. It's crazy. Anyway. <laughs> like, TNT didn't really give a shit about men, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to... This is not a complaint. Every other channel does. 
Even like Lifetime and stuff. Like even Lifetime's all like, come on boys, even this Christmas movie is one that you can enjoy. Or like, you know, they'll do like ad campaigns like that. You know, like this is not a complaint. I'm just saying TNT like got rich off Angel reruns and like Bone reruns and like shows that like that girl that you know would watch. Oh, like the girl that you know that would like come up to you and just like start talking to you about those shows and you don't really know her that well. You're actually trying like, I know, I know you, but where from? And she just walks up to you like, so on Bones last night and like, oh fuck. Like that girl really liked TNT. And so after they hit a critical mass with the closer, they're just looked at all the penises and they're like, we're done with those. <laughs> do, you, do you know how much more commercials pay if they're aimed at women? Do you understand? I order another 20 seasons of Judging Amy. Every show on TNT must have one woman who wears nothing but pajamas the entire course of her career. <laughs> I don't want to see her in any slacks ever. You hear me? And TNT just hit this critical mass of, well, we're just going to aim towards women. We're just going to aim towards women. But then this amazing thing happened. <clears throat> So this is where I'm trying to learn TV writing, and I'm watching every one-hour dramatic pilot that's out there. If it's a one-hour show, and it's a drama, and it's premiering, I watch it. It's not that many. We're talking about, like, maybe 100 hours of TV a year, really, at this point. This is before Netflix is, like, really ramped up or anything like that. So there's not that many shows a year that fit that criteria. One hour for adults... Drama. I don't have to watch no fucking teen shit. I don't gotta watch no fucking Roswell reboots. I don't gotta watch none of that. It's gotta be for adults. It's gotta be adult contemporary drama. Don't have to watch no superheroes either. Like, or anything like that. Adult contemporary drama. Don't have to watch nothing supernatural if I don't want to. Now, having said that, we're gonna talk about something supernatural. Because I was so curious. Because I'm watching all these... CW pilots, and I'm watching all these TNT pilots, and CW is another network that just went full tilt towards women. They were kind of struggling along, they went from the WB, the CW, the way, and then they hit the Vampire Diaries main, and they're like, holy shit! Oh, fuck, we don't ever need to advertise to children or men again! Oh, fuck that shit! Oh, we did it! Oh, how many more pale men can we have on screen staring at each other? Holy fuck! Come on! Throw more! A telenovela? Fuck yes, we fucking greenlight it! I don't care what language it's in! I don't care who's in it! Fuck yes! We would love them! Oh my god! Oh my god! Can we have a show? Can we have a show where a teenage girl has to take over for her mother's shopping dynasty? while also figuring out which boy to take to prom? <laughs> we can! <laughs> ah! I'm so happy. <laughs> and so there's just a couple of TV networks that just lit full, like they just went full, you could just feel the oxygen. You do get paid more, this is not a joke, you do get paid more, generally speaking, advertising to women than men, products that women, women, generally speaking, in Western societies, and definitely in the fucking East, control the purse strings, 
if you if you advertise to the mom in the house, your successful streaming platform, that's the most likely one to, that the family is going to spend money on. If you're Hulu or Disney or Netflix or whatever, and you advertise to the mom in that house, and you're successful, that's the most likely successful route of getting revenue from that house. You know what I'm saying? So there's not, it's not dumb at all. It's just that a lot of companies haven't gone there. And CW, right? Veronica Mars was awesome. I, will, I love Christian Bell and I'm always well. That's why I gave Frozen a chance. Uh, so CW and uh, TNT just really went pretty heavily towards uh, these women directions. All right, I, I've probably repeated that too many times. Apologies. So I'm watching all these one-hour pilots. I'm watching Jane the, Vir- Jane the Virgin. Very good one-hour pilot. Uh, I'm watching all these really, really interesting, fun pilots that are clearly directly 1,000% aimed at women. And then Falling Skies kind of comes out. And I'm into this actor just because I think he's so attractive. His name is Noah Wiley. He's, uh, he's been on a show called uh, ER. I just find him very attractive. Yeah, he's just, a, he's just a good-looking guy. Sometimes I just think a guy's, like, really good. I'm like, oh, he's very handsome. He's very, I like him. And I just like him. Uh, and Noah Wiley is the star of the show called Falling Skies. So I was going to watch it anyway. But then I find out... It's Noah Wiley, who's the star, and his sons. And I went, okay. And his wife is not in the picture. And I went, huh. Because this is not TNT's modus operandi at all at this stage. This is, they're, they're basically telegraphing. This is a, this is, a, this is after the librarian. Uh, well, this is, this is after the librarian TV movies, but before the librarians series. Uh, I did watch the librarian uh, mini movies. I liked them. Like I said, I got a little crush on them. So, uh, but this is Noah Wiley on a female-led station, <clears throat> and it's basically saying we're gonna have Noah Wiley and we're gonna have three other men, uh, and they're gonna be the main characters. And I went, this is really interesting. I gotta watch this, even more than normal. And not only that, the second episode with no female, no female characters listed or billed. Uh, the second episode, they introduce one of my favorite bad boys on a, on a TV drama ever. Like, he's up there with Sawyer for me, like, on Lost, because he's a bad boy. He's a bad boy. He won't ever kill anybody or set anything on fire or destroy anything or torture anyone. or He won't do anything, really, but he's a bad boy. He's so sexy the way he's bad. And so they have one of those on Falling Skies even then. And, like, there's just not a lot of connection to female characters even throughout the entire five-season run of Falling Skies. It's mostly about Noah Wiley and his sons in the apocalypse. Oh, right. It's about the apocalypse and Noah Wiley and his sons. Because what Falling Skies is about, it's about aliens come down and they kill everybody. And Noah Wiley and his sons, this is the beginning, by the way. Noah Wiley and his sons are like, well, gosh, we have to fight the aliens. So this <laughs> is our introduction to a show on a female-led network. And I 1,000% fall for it. And I shouldn't. But I need to tell you at home a horrible confession. Because 
This is all introduced in the pilot. This is all they're telling us this is the show. The way that Noah Wiley is going to fight the aliens is because he's a doctor of history. And he's going to use his historical knowledge to fight the aliens. He's going to use his understanding of the U.S. Constitution. And he's going to use his understanding of what happened at Lexington and Concord. And that's going to help us fight the aliens that have already destroyed 92% of humanity when the show begins. They've already killed the shit out of us. But this historian is really going to turn the fucking tide with his, with his kids. And he gives speeches about, like, like the power of unity and diplomacy and how great it's going to be. And I'm like, into it. I'm into it. I fall for it. And here's the crazy thing. The first two seasons, kind of okay. I'm just going to defend them. The first two seasons are kind of interesting. The aliens are really interesting. We don't get to see much of them, but in a good way. And, like, they spend a lot of money on special effects. So there's, like, tanks walking, like, alien tanks walking around, broken cities that are smoldering. And, like, there's battles and stuff. And, like, it's all kinds of boy stuff. Like, and I'm into it. The first two seasons, like, really kind of explore the lore. It's only ten episodes a season, so they don't drag it out for TV. They get into it. This is this kind of alien. This is this kind of alien. This is what they do. And, like, they really get into it. And then the first two seasons are, like, really, really kind of, like, building up this lore. And it's, like, about reestablishing America. And, like, what do we do? How do we fight the aliens? How do we be Americans? How do we vote? In this martial society, it's like Battlestar Galactica, the first two seasons. You know, it's got a lot of that kind of stuff going on, except Rosalind being the treasure secretary. It's Noah Wiley as a historian, and he's telling it how it is. He's fighting powers, whether they be human or alien. So season three comes along, and it goes sci-fi to a million degrees. Season two ends on a kind of a cliffhanger, the best kind of cliffhanger, where... I'm going to describe two cliffhangers, just real quick. They're not sci-fi. Two cliffhangers. <clears throat> Number one, there's a young woman. She's in her mid-twenties. Young woman. She's got a handgun. She's sitting in her apartment on a bed. She's got the gun aimed at the door. And she's waiting. She's clearly doing nothing else. She's not looking. There's no phone. There's no music. There's no TV. Handgun, sitting on the bed, gun aimed, trained at the door, waiting. The doorknob jiggles. Bam, 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 bam. She fires. She gets up. She opens the door. She looks outside the door. We don't see who's outside. And she goes, oh, my God. That's ending one. Okay? That's cliffhanger for the season ending one. Kind of unsatisfying. I hate it. Cliffhanger season number two. The exact same thing. Sitting on the gun. Bang, 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 bang. Soon as the doorknob turns. She opens the door. Oh, my God. But instead of not showing us who it is, the camera cuts over. And instead of showing us somebody that we were suspecting maybe, or the person that she wanted to kill, the person who drove her to it, we see somebody that instead, their death, their clear death, it's clear that they're dead. That's not in question. They're dead. She's killed them. But their death is going to lead to a lot of problems next season. Their death is going to change things. What's going to happen now? Not who was it, not who did she kill, that kind of cliffhanger, but what's going to happen now that she killed that person? 
who she wasn't trying to kill. What's going to happen now? And season two of Falling Skies ends on that cliffhanger with sci-fi. It's explored who these aliens are and all that. And at the very end, I'm going to spoil a little bit, at the very end of Falling Skies season two, a third kind of alien just shows up at the very last seconds, doesn't say a word, but it's pretty clear from the moment you see them, oh, this is a good guy alien. That's it. That's all you get. You get this little glimpse of a new alien's entered the game, but he's clearly not here to kill us. What does that mean? So then Falling Skies Season 3 begins, and it's the best fucking show ever. The first three minutes of it are just like the first five minutes of Season 5 of Battlestar Galactica. The first five minutes of Season 5 of Battlestar Galactica. No dialogue. What? So. Ever. They win the Peabody after Season 2, and they went absolutely insane in the Battlestar Galactica writer's room. They went, fuck it! And the first five minutes of Season 3, Battlestar Galactica, no dialogue, just close-ups of humans building bombs, humans loading guns, humans training, war scenes, all this information is given to you about what's happened between Season 2 and 3, and you get overloaded with information. Season 2 of Battlestar Galactica ends on this huge cliffhanger. And then season three says, basically, here's what happened the last nine months that you weren't watching it. And it's great! And then, and then Battlestar Galactica starts to suck. Sorry. So. <laughs> so Fallen Skies does the same thing. The first three minutes, it's like, here's what this alien means, motherfuckers! And we get, like, within three minutes of the first, of the of the season three, you get aliens on horseback, you get laser rifles that didn't exist in the first two seasons, you get spaceship fights, you get something that you've wanted to see the first two seasons, like, immediate, like, no dialogue or anything. Like, hey, you wanted to see this for two years, right? Bam! There it is! Right out the gate. And season three of Falling Skies is pretty good. Pretty damn good TV. Season 1 and 2 I liked. I wouldn't say it's good TV. Season 3, if you like sci-fi, if you like aliens and like people like, what do we do about the Grabazoids? I know what we do. We reverse the positrons. Like, if you like that kind of TV, it's good TV. They talk about the Grabazoids and the positrons and they play with the elements and they're like, oh no, the positrons aren't working on the Grabazoids. What if we do this? It's great. I love it. As long as the rules are consistent, I'm always into it every time. As long as you don't just fucking Star Trek your way out of it. So, that's right, Star Trek's the worst I've said it. So, <laughs> season three, pretty good all the way through. Aliens, horseback, fighting, pretty good plot. For whatever reason, the showrunner gets fired at the end of season three. They want to keep going with the show. That means the boss, the cool boss who's been running it, who's been running this whole time the last three years, is axed, and they got to bring in somebody new. <laughs> and season three also ends on a cliffhanger of what happens next. <laughs> and season four of Falling Skies opens with never mind. Never mind. We're just gonna we're just gonna change some stuff around. Hey, uh, so I know season three ends with uh, there's a question and there's a baby. The baby's grown up. She's a hot twenty five year old actress now. Don't worry about it. And she's got magic powers. Don't think about it too hard. And she's also gonna be a baby. She's a sexy magical alien baby. On the show about 
a man using the Constitution to defeat aliens. So, <laughs> after, after Sexy Magic Alien Baby, I thought, well... I'm going to watch how it ends. Like, I wasn't expecting the show to get better from there, obviously. Like, I knew the show was going to be bad, but I knew I had to, I kind of had to see it. And then it gets worse. It gets worse. This is a show where we've watched, a again, we've watched aliens fight aliens with laser rifles, right? <laughs> and so we get to the very end of this fucking show. And speaking of uh, Battlestar Galactica, at the very end, they introduced Natasha Hendrich as the evil alien queen, as the Zerg Queen Kerrigan, but not by that name. <laughs> so, uh, Natasha Hendrich shows up. God, I know so many sci-fi references. If you are a woman who likes the sound of my voice and enjoys sci-fi, this is your fucking episode, man. Holy shit. So, Natasha Hendrich shows up at the end of Falling Skies as the evil queen of the aliens that have been invading Earth the last five seasons, and we go, why'd you do it? Why'd you invade Earth? And she says, you killed my children. And they go, what? You invaded Earth! And she said, yeah, but this is a long time ago. And then the camera fades out, and we see a cave painting where human beings with sticks are killing <laughs> 2D representations of the aliens that we've been fighting with laser rifles and bunker busters and C4 <laughs> and losing and getting our asses kicked for 5C. Just absolutely every season getting our heads caved in every single step of the way. But apparently Natasha Hedrich sent her kids since a years ago to Earth. Our ancestors got the job done with pointy sticks. So, she's here on a revenge mission. She didn't show up until the very last episode, and then she dies, and then there's an implication that Noah Wiley is going to save America. And maybe the Earth, with his historical knowledge. Because he's going to lead the government. So that's Falling Skies, and it left a pretty fucking bitter taste in my mouth. Here's the thing, though. Before Falling Skies, and definitely during, and then especially at the end of it, I had an idea where it's like, yeah, I want to do this, though, because it's a pretty good idea. I want to do Alien West Wing. That's a great show. I want you to imagine, anybody who's out there who's a fan of Douglas Adams, I want you to think about what if Zaphoid Beetlebox... I don't know how you say his name because I'm dyslexic. What if Zaphoid, what if Sam Rockwell, <clears throat> what if the guy who drank pan-galactic gargle blasters, there, I know how to say that, what if that asshole, instead of just being a two-headed asshole going throughout the universe, was a two-headed asshole going throughout the universe trying to legislate? Like we actually saw what it was like being president like he's still going around and drinking and lighting people on fire and exploding them but he's also trying to get the federation or whatever the fuck it's called to agree on what to do to move forward it's the it's the exact same premise right it's 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 lobo from the dc universe except that he's prime minister so that's always been my idea because what i want to do is teach people civics but the only way they're going to learn 
is if it's the most entertaining thing in the world. And the West Wing, I love the West Wing, but a lot of the times they would get real bogged down on the details. And that's hard to explain because it, it's not easy to explain like property tax reform in a way that's exciting. However, if you set it in an alien universe where the president has like a light pistol on his side and he's got to go and like the way that like he's got to get property taxes out of this guy from Boston is he's literally as the president of the United States got to go hunt down the shapeshifter that's stopping the tax collection of Boston from coming up so he can levy the tax reform bill that he needs so that he can get the goddamn Senate to push through the reform. Otherwise, he's never, ever going to get the three-fifths that he needs according to the 17th Amendment. So, goddammit, yes. What I'm saying to you, Chief of Staff, is get your waiters. Because we're going gator man hunting. <laughs> right? Like, the finance minister is a guy who has just, like, a Winchester rifle over his shoulder at all times. He's Indian, by which I mean he's from India. He literally spent the first 27 years there. But we don't got no one better. <laughs> so Raj is who we're using for finance. He's got two degrees in it, and that's the best that we could find. <laughs> Raj says that's not a good idea. Why does Raj says that's not a good idea? Because it says it's stupid. It's that show. Because Raj is the best that we've got, but Raj doesn't really have a lot of patience for us, and he doesn't really want to talk about it anyway. Raj is really much more concerned about the aliens. So, you got to get that through his head. <laughs> What's the best way to get tax reform done? That we fight the aliens, Raj. Raj. Now, here's the thing. This show was kind of actually done. Believe it or not. <laughs> it lasted one season. And it was done by a pair of people who make shows that are incredibly successful. Have you ever seen The Good Wife? Have you ever seen The Good Fight? <laughs> I'm about to flip your fucking lids. If you've seen The Good Wife, The Good Wife is brought to you by a husband and wife team who are named the Kings. That's their last name, the Kings. Well, I mean, Kings, obviously, not the Kings. It'd be great. If, they were, it was brought to you, if The Good Wife was brought to you by the, the Kings, that'd be amazing. <laughs> were the, the Kings... Were thee the kings, yes? <laughs> so it's a husband and wife duo, and they go back and forth, and that's their writing process, and they talk about what a strength it is that they pass it back and forth, and that's why they got such great female characters, is they do. They tried to make a show that nobody saw, starring Mary Elizabeth Weinstein. Everybody, every, like every woman I talk to likes her. She's liked by women, right? That's, a, that's an actress that's admired by women, generally speaking, Mary Elizabeth Weinstein. No? Not Harvey Weinstein. I know I've said a name that's scary. Not Harvey Weinstein. Mary Elizabeth Weinstein. Not even spelled the same way. No, nothing on that one? Damn, Harvey Weinstein jokes. Not yet. All right, fair enough. <clears throat> so, Mary Elizabeth Weinstein, I really like her. I really quite enjoy her anyway. And the premise is 
that her husband's a congressman and she's going to work in his office in D.C. And she's going to help people every week like a TV show does. You know, like, like a lot of TV shows are like, I need you to help me, Drifter. There's a man who's going to come down to the farm and he's going to take everything I have unless you help me. And you have to help him. And then he goes on. He helps that guy and the next week he helps somebody else. It's that show, except every week somebody's coming to her and, she's, and they go, I need you to help me. I need the help of the federal government. My kid got kicked out of his school for a peanut allergy. He's the only, it's a small school and he's the only one with a peanut allergy and they just said it's too much trouble, it's too much money. I've raised hell, I've gone to the news station, will you help me? Every week. It's that show, which is already a very interesting show to me. However, at the exact same time <laughs> that Mary Elizabeth Weinstein is trying to figure out how to help people from the front desk of a secretary office, DC is literally, not figuratively, literally being invaded and infested by bugs from outer space that crawl into our brains and make us more partisan. Not occasionally, not sometimes, not like this is in the background, this is one of daddy's theories like Game of Thrones and the undead kraken. No, the central premise of this show is aliens are coming down, they take over ants, the ants crawl into our ears while we're sleeping, and they make us hyper-partisan. And she's in D.C. while this is happening. The show lasted like seven, seven fucking episodes before it got canceled. Like it was on for like eight fucking seconds before it was gone. But somebody else had this premise too is what I'm saying. People are all hungry for alien-led civics. Do you hear me? People really want it. So I don't really know how I'm going to do it. I don't even know what the pilot looks like. Because how do you introduce the guy and then like he's an alien hunter? Like it's a TNT show or whatever. Like he's an alien hunter <laughs> or what have you. And then it's all like, well done hunting that alien, Mr. Premises, Mr. President. And then like the title card comes up. Duh, 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 duh. I don't even know. What, what do you even call it? Help me out. Throw a title at me. I'm bad with titles. Help me out. What is a show that's about civics like The West Wing, but is also about sci-fi and trying to survive an alien apocalypse? Come on. Come on. What do you even do with that? You help me. You come up with a title, maybe you sell me on it. You never know. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Isn't this just a Battlestar reboot? No, but that's actually being done. Do you know the Battlestar reboot is happening? The reboot reboot of Battlestar is happening. I can't even fucking believe it. No fracking way is what I said, but it's happening. Oh, yes. There's also already talk of a reboot of the MacGyver reboot. Because nobody knows that the MacGyver reboot happened. So people are thinking about rebooting the MacGyver reboot. Which I gotta say, I'm actually for MacGyver reboots until they get it right. They already did MacGyver reboot it. It was called Burn Notice. <laughs> watch it. It's great. You wanna, you wanna watch MacGyver reboot it? It was called Burn Notice. It's fantastic. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, only the first couple of seasons. Agreed. I mean, that was a USA show, so only the first couple of seasons. I love that show's first couple of seasons, if it's a USA show. I love Monks! First, six, seven. I love Sykes! First three to five seasons. <laughs> I love the Dead Zones! Like, first episodes. <laughs> USA, we have characters. No, White Collar sucked from the beginning. I watched the uh, I watched the pilot of White Collar, and every part of that pilot was shit. Sorry, you uh, you loved his uh, his look, his face. Yes, he's gorgeous. Matt Bomer is aggressively, exceedingly, offensively attractive. I hate it. I'm so glad he's gay. I would be so much angrier for if he was straight or bi. I would be. It, fuck him. That's not okay. He's in the Magnificent Seven reboot for like, since we're talking about reboots, for like, for like a fraction of a second. And it still pissed me off. Yeah, I know he's a Magic Mike, but that doesn't piss me off because eventually it just becomes like a wall of perfect man. Like eventually Magic Mike is just undulating, glistening perfection and you just, your ego just is like, all right, I submit. I accept it. <laughs> I will never be this. So. <sighs> I accept our new Lord Channing Tatum. I know why Chris Pratt, before I get into the reading, maybe I don't do reading tonight. <laughs> I don't know why. Before I get into it, I know why Chris Pratt's no longer so attractive to women. Because I heard him talk a couple of times, and I was like, oh. Got it. Is that too mean? <laughs> I'm dead serious, though. I heard him talking about, like, red meat and, like, Christianity and, like, his wife for, like, three minutes. I'm like, I get it. I get why he's falling off at popularity. He is not humble. <laughs> So I get why he is. I get why he's kind of like, uh, he is. Chris Pratt is clock-blocking the shit out of himself. What are you doing, babies? Why? <laughs> so I get why he's fallen out of favor. What's not the other Chris? God damn, you guys, you guys have got me stuck on a Chris loop now. Because chat just did all the Chris's. I mentioned one hot Chris, and now they're mentioning them all. That's not who I wanted to ask about, though. Damn it. Now I got all the hot Chris's stuck in my head. Just dead, just a, speaking of a glistening mass of perfection, they're now all up there in their perfect MCU forms. <laughs> just taunting me. Just like you think you're a sexy show. They're just in little man bikinis, just pelvic thrusting, laughing at me. <laughs> you think you're sexy? You're not a Chris. You're not a Chris level of sexy. <laughs> What I assume to be their massive... I've got a very nice-sized cock. Their massive dongs flopping in their male bikinis just, just to intimidate me all the more. They don't stop pelvic thrusting. They don't even show me their asses because they're too busy flapping their cocks right in my face, but you can tell their ass cheeks are just perfect. To show you would be a little bit rude. If I showed you how nice my ass looked, that would be rude. Now just stand there while I flop my cock in your face and laugh at you. 
don't want to be a jerk about it. You just thought you were attractive around the Chris's. We got to put you in your place. There's a hierarchy. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know how Chris Walken is leading him. There's a hierarchy. <laughs> Come on, guys. I can't really do a great Chris Walken. Otherwise, this would be the perfect time. <sighs> Well, now I'm definitely not going to know who I was thinking of before I got on the Chris Pratt. Does anybody remember what I said before I got on Chris Pratt cock-blocking himself? Son of a bitch. Yeah, it was Matt Boomer. Is that why Matt... Okay, so Matt Boomer, but it wasn't Matt Boomer because he's gay. And I'm not trying to... I'm just going to say I'm a straight guy. But after all the conversations I've had with women, here's how it works. If a man's bi and you're straight as a woman that's okay, to that's really hot. But if a man's gay and you're a straight woman, it's just like somebody said, it's just like that scene in Dr. Zivago where the bus is pulling away. Doesn't matter how long you look. Doesn't matter how long you look. They're still going. They're st the train's just leaving the station. You can want them as much as you want. You've got your best glimpse, you got your closest taste, and from here on out, it's just distance between the two of you. <laughs> so that changes it a little bit. So it was Magic Mike. So that, now, now I know it is. Thank you so much. So I know, no, it's not Chris. So I know how Chris Pratt has done it. How, how did Channing Tatum do it? What happened to Channing? The last time I looked at Channing Tatum, I have a, I have a forum where I have a forum where women talk about hot guys no i'm not going to tell you about it and i've been lurking on this forum for a very long since before i was at the gray night to tell you the truth i look on forums this is definitely for another show i look on very specific very hyper specific hidden forums that you can't find on the internet through searching right so i'm I, I, I lurk on a gun forum i'm not a gun nut i'm an anti-gun nut i've been pretty clear about that i lurk on a gun forum and a gun discord, for instance. That's tr this is true. And I, just, and I just read what people say. And I just, uh, I just, I find it very interesting. And I'm actually a member of many, many forums. And I look. I never comment. The site's very difficult for people to understand, especially since you're hearing me ramble for so long about just my opinions and thoughts. But I look. And I read, and I don't do it frequently, but I do check in. And the last time I checked, Channing Tatum's stock was pretty hot with single women. <laughs> He's doing pretty well with that demo. He is not doing so well with that demo. And so I looked it up, I was like, okay, Channing Tatum, what'd you do? And the answer is, I can't find anything. As far as I can tell, he's still just Channing Tatum. He's still just always been that guy. He's just always been kind of a labradoodle that you wanted to have sex with, right? Did he do anything? That's always just, I heard a story. This is something that my ex told me that she thought was endearing about Channing Tatum. This is a story that she said, I should be more like Channing Tatum. Like, she didn't say it like that, but she was like, you should be more like, you could just tell. Channing Tatum, the way that he first had sex with his wife, was he had her answer her hotel door on a set that they were both working on. He was naked, holding a hat 
over his penis and he had a bottle of tequila and the first words out of his mouth were, and I quote, let's do this. Now that's something that my ex said like, isn't that great? I don't think that's great. And I'll be real honest with you. I could get away with it, too, with a lot of you. Like, I could, I could set it up so it's consensual, even, where I can say, like, okay, absolutely, I'll meet you in Pittsburgh and we can have sex. Here's how you got to open the door at the Airbnb, though. Ready? Like, I could even get all of the consent. I could get across all the T's and get that. Do I still think it's awesome? I do not. I sure don't. <laughs> so I heard that story and I thought, like, that's kind of, like, really sexually aggressive. That's kind of like sexual assault, is what I thought. And then I had, like, a really bad realization. And I don't know. I'm just going to admit it. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I'm freeballing here. I realized, I don't actually know if it's sexual assault because it's Janet Tatum. Now, that's, now that's a bad thought. And I said it in a high, squeaky voice because it's really hard to quote now on other podcasts and shit. And take it out of context. <laughs> <laughs> but real but really truly that was my thinking almost immediately afterwards like that's sexual thought and like if Kevin if you heard this story about Kevin Spacey <laughs> that's all you have to say about that joke I'll do it later to prove it that's all you have to say you leave an ellipses after Kevin Spacey it's a punchline baby people have People have imaginations about his machinations. <clears throat> I'm saying that if that if I did that, I'm not sure I'd have the confidence to sell it, and it would become a sexual assault. Even if you agreed, even if you're like, let's meet up in the Pittsburgh Airbnb, yes, I know you're going to be naked with the sombrero over your junk. Again, parentheses, a bit much. I'm not falling for it, in parentheses. And you have the bottle of tequila. Even if we went through all of that. <laughs> even if we went through every last bit of it. And I knew how much you wanted me, obviously. And I knew how much it was going to happen. And I was so excited. And we were sexting. And you were literally showing me pictures of your shaved junk and all that. That's right. I just called your pussy's junk. How do you like it? <laughs> yeah, we don't like it either. You don't have any nice terms for our stuff. Oh, he's junk, his schlong, his fucking dick. You know, the one part of him that's any use to him. Besides his fucking income. I don't know why you're all stereotypical wives from 1950s Brooklyn. <laughs> but if I open the door that way, you open the door on me, even agreeing to it, and I'm wearing this wearer, and I'm sober, because I would be, because try and make a good first impression while you're naked, holding a hat over your penis, of course. And I have the bottle, and I'm holding I would still be like, eh, you want to do this? Pretty lady. Hey, pretty lady, you want to fuck? Drunken. I've got penis under my hat. 
the hats over my body. I'm saying that I'm naked, pretty lady. And I brought some beer. Like, that's exactly, like, I can't begin to tell you that if you didn't stop me there, it would get even worse. So there's two kinds of people in this world. There's the guy that can just look at his hat, look at his bottle of tequila, remember the numbers somehow that attach to your hotel room, and think, wait a minute, I've got a fucking plan. And just execute that shit. And... There's a guy who could literally have all the components assembled for him as though it were a Lego kit that you get for a three- to five-year-old. And he still isn't the type of guy who can pull it off. Even if you're like, I like this. Hat over penis, naked, bottle of booze, at the door. That is too... Too many instructions for me, at least. All right? My sexuality is the cereal of sexuality. You put the cereal in the bowl, you pour the milk, and you eat. If it gets beyond that, I'm going to fuck it up. I'm going to get nervous. I'm going to get all flustered. I'm going to be like, okay, I definitely want to flick your clit. But please remember her Aunt Sally. Please remember her Aunt Sally. Please. Okay, do I flick the clit or do I fucking, what do I do here? Oh, fuck. It, why am I a burglar? But why am I a burglar? But why burgle? <laughs> and so I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to appear at your front door naked, hiding my treasure with a hat and a bowl of booze. Doesn't matter how bad you ask me. No. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to be naked with a hat covering my penis, holding a bottle of booze, outside your bathroom door. And I won't knock, I'll just be standing there waiting. Hey, you want surprise? You want to feel sexy all of a sudden? I've got a plan. I've got a plan, love of mine. Lady love of mine, who I adore and wish to cherish my life with. I shall surprise you. Naked. Stetson. Firmly covering my penis in a pose I've prepared in the mirror at least 20 times. Holding a bottle of your favorite wine, which you will briefly see before it slips out of my hand due to the screaming that I, for some reason, was not expecting. <laughs> so, if you will, I just want you to imagine... 
a few brief sounds in a row. Ready? Creak. Ha! Creak smash. Gurgle, 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 gurgle. This has been a story of seduction. <laughs> Jack, why are you single? Well, I'll tell you how. <laughs> Starting off with the sexy at the beginning, and then we move into the sweet, just doing it in reverse. All right, guys. I had absolutely positively nothing prepared for the show. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy me. Share it with your friends. The reason why I've been thinking about falling skies and all the rest is because of fucking COVID-19, and I just got to talk about this. I've been listening to Rachel Maddow for 15 years now. 14 at a minimum. 2006 at a minimum. That election cycle. So I think a little bit longer. I've never been ahead of Rachel Maddow. I've been ahead of Rachel Maddow all week on this COVID-19 shit. If you listen to this, the tip shows, you know it. I've been talking about this for weeks now. I've been talking about this for three or four weeks now. And now Rachel Maddow is finally talking about it. And so all week, it's just been like, Jack, you're such a good boy. Here you are. I'm going to talk about stories that you know all hour long. I'm just rubbing my fucking nipples to it. Oh, my God. The cat got on my lap like 17 minutes into a Rachel Maddow. Neither of us moved until we were sweaty. Speaking of a glistening, undulating mess, my thighs were by the end of it because we were both purring. Me and Mrs. Kitty. Her because she was on my lap. Me because Rachel Maddow was finally talking about this shit and how serious it was and, like, how smart you had to be to see it coming. I'm like, Rachel Maddow never calls me smart. Oh, she always has to spoon-feed me fucking bullshit facts. Here's a story about a tax baron. This is important. This is really cool, isn't it? This tax baron. Ooh, he's from the 1930s. Look how he's in black and white. Here he comes. Nom, nom, nom. This is how he was a tax baron. Ready? Ooh, isn't that interesting? He stole and he lied and he killed. Nom, nom, nom. Okay, so here's a congressman. He does the same thing. Pay attention. Pay attention. Same thing. This guy. Same thing. So normally she has to treat me like the fucking five-year-old I am when she's trying to teach me about fucking Republicans who are talking about levying the... Uh, tariff just means tax. Tariff just means tax. It's just the French word for tax. What the fuck? <laughs> just because you apply it to something that's on the water doesn't... It's just tax. That's me when she wants to talk about tariffs. Because I don't want to. I just don't wanna. <laughs> but all week I've been super far ahead of her. I've been talking about COVID stuff. I've been actually really like ahead of the game and she's talking about all of it. And it's just been so fucking validating. Just so nice. And I'm sorry that you're all gonna die 
for my ego. But on the other hand, I also warned you. So this is starting to kind of feel like the act one scientist payoff, right? Like, I'm sorry, but I've seen this movie enough times before. You're all dying, but I get taken to the government lab where they're just like, I know he's unorthodox, but there's something about his brain. So, good luck, assholes. Go to Alabama if, they, if the corpses get back up and start running. Somewhere in the American South, American Samoa. I hear there's like a three-block radius in Boston. You'll be pretty good there. Just get, get where the Americans are heaviest. Get where the Americans can barely move when they've got a mind that's capable of the process, and then you'll be able to avoid the zombies. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. One of these days I say I'm going to get into the reading portion and just immediately get into the reading portion. That day was not today. <clears throat> I pull it up and then I get distracted because I'm so in love with the sound of my own voice. Tip me. Tell your friends. Tell your friends to come and tip me. Tip me and tell your friends. Tell your friends to come and tip me. Yeah? All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Understand, I'll slip quietly away from the noisy crowd when I see the pale star rising, blooming over the oaks. I'll pursue solitary pathways through the pale twilight meadows with only this one dream. You come to. Pathways by Renee Maria Rilke, R-I-L-K-E. <clears throat> A little kingdom I possess where thoughts and feelings dwell, and very hard I find the task of governing it well. For passion tempts and troubles me, a wayward will misleads, and selfishness its shadows cast on all my words and deeds. How can I learn to rule myself, to be the child I should, honest and brave, nor ever tire of trying to be good? How can I keep a sunny soul to shine along life's way? How can I tune my little heart to sweetly sing all day? Dear Father, help me with the love that casteth out of my fear. Teach me on lean on thee and feel that thou art very near. That no temptation is unseen, no childish grief too small, since thou with patience infinite doth soothe and comfort all. I do not ask for a crown, but that which all may win, nor seek to conquer any world except the one within. Be thou my guide until I find, lead thee a tender hand, thy happy kingdom in myself, and dare to take command. My Kingdom by Louisa May Alcott. Oh, I quite like the message of that one. It's true. You must, must, must rule from within. Uh-oh.
I thought a poem, I thought a love letter was a poem. I was just about to say, I thought a poem was a love letter and get that backwards and then apologize. I'm trying to work on not apologizing so much. I know a lot of people, a lot of my fans have an issue with that. And they ask you, how do you, how do, you do it? And I've made some progress, some people have noticed. How do you not apologize so much? And the answer is, you just fucking force it. It's awful. It's awful. You want to, but you know it's not going to do any good, so you just push through it, and it gets a little easier every time. That's it. I wish, to, I wish I had some grand, like, oh, this is what my therapist said. No. You just, every time you're like, I want to say I'm sorry because I messed up. You just, like, I know it's not good. You just fucking push through. All right. Speaking of pushing through. <clears throat> Beautiful dreamer, wake unto me. Starlight and dewdrops are waiting for thee. Sounds of the rude world heard in the day. Lulled by the moonlight have all passed away. Beautiful dreamer, queen of my song. List while I woo thee, sweet melody. Gone are the cares of life's busy throng. Beautiful dreamer, awake unto me. Beautiful dreamer, out on the sea, mermaids are chanting the wild lorelei. Over the streamlet, vapors are born, waiting to fade at bright coming morn. Beautiful dreamer, beam on my heart, even as the morn on the streamlet and sea. Then will all the clouds of sorrow depart, beautiful dreamer, awake. Unto me. Beautiful Dreamer by Stephen Foster. Uh, I'm very cognizant of the poems that I'm reading tonight because I just got a question on the last podcast uh, about what I like or what I don't. And, and, and just because I was thinking it right there. The only thing I know about Stephen Foster, for instance, is that there's a song called The Ghost of Stephen Foster that I'm very fond of. And I didn't really, I mean, I, you guys have taught me Stephen Foster was a poet. I didn't really know what that song was about, and I still don't. I just like the song. So there's an example of a way that you guys culture me. But I do know this, the, <laughs> a song called The Ghost of Stephen Foster. And I'm a snarky bastard, and I can be a little bit droll and a little bit hard to read. I don't know if that's coming across. Anyway, so I could be at, like, for instance, a cocktail party or a work function or something, and perhaps a very attractive and very educated and interesting woman might say something about Stephen Foster. And if she did, now I might know that poem or to quote a little bit of it. Whereas in the past, I might just dryly and drolly have just said, oh, I, I actually know about the ghost of Stephen Foster. Yes, he's at the Hotel Paradise. And just talk about song lyrics until maybe she was willing to think that I was somewhat interesting. Hmm. <clears throat> Bright is the ring of words. When the right man rings them fair, the fall of songs, when the singer sings them. Still they are caroled and said on wings they are carried after the singer is dead. And the maker is buried low as the singer lies in the fields of heather. Songs of his fashion brings the swains together. And when the west is red with the sunset embers, the lover lingers and sings, and the maid remembers.
Bright is the Ring of Words, Robert Louis Stevenson. <clears throat> Pressed in the arms of him, I so adored the keeper of my charms, my pride, my lord. By day, experiencing each sweet delight and meeting endless transports every night. When our downy bed we fondly lay, heeding each other by our amorous play. Till nature, yielding in our luscious game, would fierce desire and quenchless lust in flame. Oh, then we'd join in love's most warm embrace and press soft kisses on every grace. Around my form his pliant limbs entwined, love's seat of bliss to him I then resigned. We pant, we throb, we both convulse and start. Heavens, then, what passions throw our fibers dart. We heave, we wriggle, we bite, we laugh, we tremble, we sigh. We taste Elysian bliss, we fondle, we die. The Pleasures of Love from Pearl Volume, Society of Vice. I'm going to ask everybody, what year do you think that was written in? I don't normally ask this, but it fooled me, so I'm going to ask everybody who's here, what year, what year? What year does everybody think that was written in? That's very, very body. It's very, very body. The whole thing's about fucking. What year do you think it was written in? I see, 1800, 1900s, 1926. Early 1900s, 1860. Well, you guys are all a lot closer than me. 1880. I actually thought it was going to be a little bit later than that. So there you go. Yeah. My girls are all so clever. You're all very well, very educated girls. <clears throat> Here we go. People did, in fact, fuck back then, Allie. Allie asked if people fucked back in the 1900s. They did. In fact, one of the most annoying commercials I've ever seen was back when the History Channel had history and not just pawn shops and aliens on it. They did a big special called The History of Sex. It was like a five-evening special or something. And the way that they, uh, and I actually had a sexual history class, uh, like human sexuality class at, a, at an actual college, not not long before that aired. So I was kind of interested to see, like, well, you know, how does this compare to the class? And the commercial for it was the most annoying thing ever. I still remember it after all of these years. The truth is, without the history of it, there wouldn't be any history at all. Technically true, also true of writing, also true of the Iron Age, also true of medicine, if you really think about it. I mean, electricity, if we're going with mass media, like, I'm with you, but on the other hand, go fuck yourself. I mean, I hear you, it's true, you do need fucking to have people, without it there wouldn't be history, but go, I mean, if you're true, you could say that about literally anything if you're going to that basic. The truth is, the best thing about McDonald's? All of our employees come from fucking. I mean, <laughs> it's not wrong. Here at here at Jack Cowboy Jack's Discount Weed Emporium, 
We think the thing that makes our discount weed over-the-counter the best are the people. And our people come from penises shooting ejaculation into vaginas. If you want people made by ejaculation entering vaginas, come to Cowboy Jack's Discount Weed Emporium, where the best people are made. Technically true, History Channel, but fuck you. Because I had to sit and think about it, because that's all they say. Because it was about sex. So I was like... The other thing I'm going to say, just real quick about, like, I can't stand how sexuality is displayed on, like, TVs and, and what have you. This is, like, around the Janet Jackson nipple era. Is the Hallmark Channel existed? I don't know if it still does. I think it's just Christmas movies now. Just all year long. But back then, the Hallmark Channel was an actual channel. And it actually put stuff on. And it actually did specials uh, on occasion. And so when the Hallmark Channel did, like, original programming, there'd be no sex. There'd be no sex. It'd be, like, a 17-year-old girl, and she'd be all, like, going to high school, and they'd be like, I think I should talk to my dad if maybe I should kiss Brian. Right? Like, that's the kind of show, like, Hallmark TV would do. You know? Like, that would be, like, a cliffhanger or something. It would just be, like, really crazy. However, Hallmark would then do, like, Jason and the Argonauts and do versions of that. And so my favorite thing that my ex, she was very, very clever. And my favorite, like her review of Hallmark is, you know, when they do modern people, it's all very chaste. But when they do ancients, it's just asses over heads. And I still think about that to this fucking day. (laughs) I still think about that description of what it means to program a lot of sex. It's just asses over heads. <laughs> oh, I date interesting women. Okay. <clears throat> Eating the world. I was born with my mouth open entering this juicy world of peaches and lemons and ripe sun and the pink and secret flesh of women and this world where dinner is in the breath of the subtle desert. In the spices of the distant sea which late at night drift over sleep. I was born somewhere between the brain and the pomegranate, with my tongue tasting the delicious textures of hair and hands and eyes. I was born on the heart stew out of the infinite bed to walk on this infinite earth. I want to feel the flowers of ice on this winter window, the aromas of many soups, the scent of sacred candles that follows me around this cedar house. I want to feed you the lavender that lifts up our certain poems and the cinnamon of apples baking, the simple joys we see in the sky when we fall in love. I want to feed you in the pungent soil while I have harvested garlic. I want to feed you the memories rising out of the aspen logs when I split them in the pinion smoke that gathers round the house in a still night and the mums left by the kitchen door. I want to feed you the colors of rain on deserted parking lots and the folds of delirious patchouli in the Indian skirt of the woman on the market street in San Francisco 
and the human incense of so much devotion in the tiny villages of Colorado and Peru. I want to serve you breakfast at dawn. I want to serve you the bread that rises in the desert dust. Serve you the wind that wanders through the canyons. Serve you the stars that fall over the bed. Serve you the Hopi corn and thousand years old. Serve you the saffron of the west and sunset. Serve you the delicate pollen that blows in its lullaby through each lonely wing of flesh. I want to serve you the low hum of bees clustered together all winter, eating the honey, eating the world, James Tipton. We've got one last poem. I hope you enjoyed the selection tonight. Very, very interesting stuff. Apologies to chance for calling it necessary. My apologies to necessary if I'm mistaken after all. Please don't be angry. Happiness that I take from you is due. May be dead my patience the way my memory fade. My apologies to time for all the world I overlooked each second. My apologies to past loves for thinking that the latest is the first. Forgive me, distant wars, for bringing flowers home. Forgive me, open wounds, for pricking my finger. I apologize for my record of minutes for those I cry from the depths. I apologize to those who wait in railway stations for being asleep at 5 a.m. Pardon me, hounded hope, for laughing from time to time. Pardon me, deserts, that I don't rush to you bearing a spoonful of water. Are you, falcon, unhinged year after year after year, always in the same cage, and your gaze fixed upon the same point in space? Forgive me! Forgive me, even if it turns out that you were stuffed. My apologies to the felled tree and the fall table. My apologies to the great questions and the small answers. Truth, please do not pay me much attention. Dignity, please be magnanimous. Hear with me, O mystery of existence, as I pluck the occasional trend from your train. Soul, do not take offense that I have only given you now and then. My apologies to everything that I can't be everywhere at once. My apologies to everyone that I can't be to each woman and each man. I know I won't be justified as long as I live, since I myself stand in my own way. Don't bear me ill-will speech that I borrow weighty words, then labor heavily so that they may see Light. My apologies to chance for calling it necessary. For calling it necessity. Uh, I'm going to go with Wislawa Zimbroska. W I S L A W A S Z Y M B O R. S-K-A. I'm going to go S-K-A. I'm going to go with Wislawa, 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 Zimborska, Zizborska. Wow. Uh, And I'm definitely going to go with Polish. (laughs) Definitely going to go with Polish, no matter how I try and pronounce it. 
Somebody had something with mutilated words. It's a poem. Send it in next week. I know, but you girls are going to come up to me on stage when we finally get to the point after the apocalypse. After all, the old people are dead. Hey, by the way, is it rude to ask everybody, once they get infected with this, to go to Republican-leaning district with a lot of old people? And talk to them about Trump? Just, just hold up a sign that says you're an idiot if you vote for Trump. And just talk to people who come and talk to you. Is that a crime? Is that criminal? I don't, I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of that's dark, that's gray, that's, I'm asking if it's murder for you, but much more importantly, I'm asking, is it conspiracy to murder for me? Because they Charlie Mansoned real good on that loophole, you know, and I don't want to get Charlie Mansoned, all right? Trying to learn from that psychotic midget's mistakes. Ever since I sucked the soul out his fucking cadaver, he's been barking at me to get more of you to do a little bit more. But here's the thing. He always goes off half-cocked. So I'm just trying to make sure. When I get you to do murder in my name, for my plan, I don't want to go to no jail. I want it to be like a Koch brothers or like an Eric Prince situation. I want that. Yeah, of course you killed people for my benefit, but... And we're leaving that pause in until people find out who Eric Prince is. Okay, so, uh, that's... <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna have to, just look up Eric Prince in that pause. When you listen to the show again, you'll remember the Eric Prince, and you'll be like, oh right, I didn't look up Eric Prince last time, I just thought it, I just thought it didn't work. Now you have to look him up, and you have to be like, why would he make that joke and then pause? <laughs> it's because once you find out who Eric Prince is, there's no justification. There could never be one. So... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to get like after the apocalypse after all the old people commit after all the old people are dead you won't have guys trust guys it's a joke I don't want you to kill old people in my name I just want to be clear about that guys it's a joke I just want to be very clear I don't actually want you to get sick and contagious and spread this to old people okay I just want to be very clear about this cause you're not gonna have to alright they're, they're real stupid have you talked to an old person recently? They've only gotten dumber, and they're just going to, like, like, Oh, my God, I heard Martha's sick. And then they're all going to drive their fucking rascals over to Martha's house, and they'll give it to themselves. I promise. You won't have to do anything. It'll be amazing how quickly Americans fucking old people are going to, they're going to be like, Open up, I gotta tell you about the disease in quarantine. Open up, I gotta tell ya. I gotta tell you about how you gotta get sick. Open up. And they will. And they will. <laughs> so don't go to, don't go to prison for it. <laughs> you can't convince an 80-year-old person in America to give up their driver's license. 
You think you're going to convince them that a new disease outside of China is going to kill everyone they know? Please. Paul, you can't convince them that dumping carbon in the atmosphere for over a century and a half, basically, could possibly lead to carbon being in the atmosphere. You can't even get them that far. Hey, is the amount of carbon in the atmosphere increasing, old person in America? Uh-uh. Clean coal. I saw a commercial that said clean coal in 1997. So, nah-uh. Don't go to prison kill that guy. That guy's dying. You hear me? I need your money. I, you can't send it to me if you win the clink. Don't actually do it. That being said, if you do want to form like a Christmas carol choir, all ladies of the night, just go around just blasting that V-load right in there fucking old people. Like if you get a congregate them, get them together, do like concert, like nursing homes and shit, just, just like, you can't always get what you, get a real breathy song. Like really, really put that virus in the fucking air. But if you try sometimes, you might find you get what? I love that song because you get to take a breath literally every couple of syllables. You don't ever have to worry about how little breath you need to sing that one, baby. That is half that song. That's why they still do it. That's why they still perform it live. They don't need to do oxygen tanks when they're going off the side. <sighs> Should I finish up reading? I don't know what's keeping me from reading tonight. Good golly. It's the apocalypse. It's on my mind. Tip me. Oh my god. Throw me money so I can buy a pizza. Take my mind off the apocalypse. I can't stress eat a lot of problems away, but I can absolutely stress eat the apocalypse away. 100%. Every single time I eat something that I didn't make, I can just take a little of the feelings that I'm thinking about the apocalypse and be like, it's not really happening. How could the apocalypse be happening if I could order a pizza? Come on. Come on. It's not really happening. I can't do that for other stuff. My relationship's not falling apart. I ordered a pizza. I haven't cleaned the house in 20 days. I'm clearly in a depressive episode. No, I'm not. I ordered a pizza. No. That doesn't really get me out of my other jams. You hear what I'm saying? Like, I've tried. <laughs> Repeat it. Oh, I tried a lot. Oh, I really... I tried a lot to order pizza to my house in order to make my house clean. Like, I really, really dug into that diamond. You ever hear the story about the guy who was digging the diamond mine? He dug and he dug and he dug and then he quit and then somebody comes in they find the diamonds. That was me, but ordering pizzas to clean my apartment in the middle of a depressive episode. Turns out, you just keep getting more pizza boxes. <laughs> Turns out, you just get less eye contact from delivery people every time they see you. And tons of pizza boxes. Those are the only two things that you acquire in this scenario. Come on, that's fucking funny. 
Come on! I'm the butt of the joke. You can laugh. Does that make up for the sombrero over the crotch joke? <laughs> I know that was really, really, really very convoluted of me. I just, I wanted to go with the funniest hat. It wasn't about size portion, I promise you. I wasn't thinking size, I was just thinking, what's the funniest hat? Sombrero. Sombreros are 1,000% the funniest hat. I've, I've even had occasionally a, a white person come up and be like, you can't say that, that's racist. Uh, I'm pretty sure I can say that sombreros are hilarious. I'm abs I'm, 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 I'm almost positive. I don't, I can't really, can you imagine, even if I was like Trump leading America? Gosh, do you remember when Mexico could get attention? <laughs> Trump would shit talk them. Oh, we were so naive back then. Remember when Trump could be all like, all Mexicans are rapists and we could care. <laughs> and Mexico would be like, hey! We'd be like, Mexico said, hey. Mexico didn't like that. Now back to the weather. Now now we don't even get to Mexico's fucking, fucking side of it. Trump's just all like, are you Ukraine? is using servers to make Mexicans come over the border. We don't even reach out to God. <laughs> we don't even fucking ask him no more. Uh, so sombreros are the funniest hat is what I'm trying to say. In my mind, it's even a, like, <laughs> Day of the Dead sombrero. It's black with silver sequins and shiny. It's something that Antonio Banderas would put on or take off dramatically before shooting a bunch of people. Just covering my pasty flailed junk. Just because at this point I've got a giant gut and everything, so the sombrero's helping to guide that too. So it's just, it's this like $175 hat, this like $300 hat just right in front of it. And then just like this pasty pale guy with man boobs just coming over the rim of the sombrero. The $10 bottle of wine in his right hand, the look in his eyes going, hey. Hey. I know your last boyfriend surprised you with a trip to the Canary Islands. This is what you're getting from me. <laughs> I suffered while I was writing these misnamed sonnets. They hurt me and caused me grief, but the happiness I feel in offering them to you is a vast, vast as a savannah. When I set the task for myself, I knew very well that down the right side of sonnets, with elegant, discriminating taste, poets of all times have arranged rhymes that sound like silver or crystal or cannon flare. But with great humility, I made these sonnets out of wood. I gave them sound that the opaque, pure substance that is how they should reach your ears. Walking in forests or on beaches along hidden lakes, the latitude sprinkled with ashes, you and I have picked up pieces of pure bark, pieces of wood, Subject to the comings and goings of water and the weather, out of such softened relics then, 
with hatchet and machete and pocket knife. I build up these lumber piles of love, and with fourteen boards each, I build little houses so that your eyes, which I adore and sings to, might live in them. Now that I have declared the foundations of my love, I surrender this century to you. Wooden sonnets that rise only because you gave them life. Dedication of 100 Sonnets from Pablo Neruda to Matilde Urita. Urata. Urita? Very beautiful. <clears throat> Here in dear Susie's bosom, I know in love and rest I never would go away. Your precious letter, Susie, it sits here now and smiles so kindly at me and gives me such sweet thoughts of the dear writer. When you come home, darling, I shan't have your letter, shall I, but I shall have yourself, which is more, oh, more and better than I can ever think until not an hour is left of it. Then you are here, and joy is here, joy now forevermore, sue forevermore, I need her, I must have her, oh give her to me, to own a Susan of my own is of itself bliss. Whatever realm I forfeit, Lord, continue me in this. Come with me this morning to the church within our hearts, where the bells are always ringing, and the preacher whose name is Love shall intercede for us. Am I sad and alone and cannot help it? Sometimes, when I do feel so, I think it may be wrong, and that God will punish me by taking you away. He is very kind to let me write you and to give me your sweet letters, but my heart wants more. When I look around me and find myself alone, I sigh for you again, little sigh and vain sigh, which will not bring you home. I need you more and more, and the great world grows wider. I miss my biggest heart. My own goes wandering around and calls for Susie. Susie, forgive me, darling, for every word I say. My heart is full of you. Yet when I seek to say you something not of this world, to tell you how dear you are, but the words won't come, though the tears... Well, have you ever thought of it, Susie? Yet I know you have. I do think it wonderful, Susie, that our hearts don't break every day. But I guess I've made with nothing but a hard heart of stone. For it didn't break any, my dear Susie. If mine is stony, yours is stone upon stone. For you never yield any, where I seem quite beflown. I would nestle close to your warm heart. Is there any room there for me, or shall I wander away all homeless and alone? In thinking of those I love, my reason is all gone from me, and I do fear something that I must make a hospital for the homelessly insane, and the chain up in me. There is such time, so I won't injure you. Show me eternity, and I will show you memory. 
both in one package lane and lifted back again. Be Sue. Well, I am Emily. Be next. But you have been. Infinity. Love letter from Emily Dickinson to Susan Gilbert. Whew, intense. That It started off, I, I really kind of pitied her for the first three-fourths of it. She was just, I have, a, I have a, a, a personal attachment to her because I'm a homebody and because I'm trying to beat it. And sometimes I'm more successful than not. And Emily Dickinson, of course, resonates with me for that reason. And so I felt kind of pathos for her the first lion's share of it, a good amount of it. Uh, but boy, that ending is so gorgeous. Really resonate with me. Be next what you have been, infinity. <clears throat> infinity lies ahead of us and behind. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> Little girl, happiness is within you. So unlock the chains from your heart and let yourself grow. Like the sweet flower you are. I know the answer. Spread your wings and set yourself free. Love to you forever. Jimi Hendrix to his girlfriend. Very sweet. All right, we only had one porn story submitted. So if you want a porn story and you don't want it to be this kind, you should definitely submit some. You should definitely come out to a live show. And you should definitely make Daddy not have to vamp so much. Oh, I vamped a lot tonight, so if you had a good time, that means you just like me and what's off the top of my head. Thank you very, very much for that. But also, won't you come out? Won't you tell a friend? Won't you keep making the podcast go up and up and up the rankings? Each and every last one of you who does go ahead... And make sure that you review, tell a friend, submit, and all the rest. Well, I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. Come on out. Say hello. Submit a story. It's absolutely free. Here we go. The final piece of tonight. <clears throat> it was the fall of 2010. And my world wasn't safe. Too much out there to catch, or catch you. The force... Here we go. This is a funny one. I didn't realize, but now I know. This is gave it away. The forces of law and order were coming down hard. Blaming us for a world passing them by. That, and there were always new strains... Only my dead or missing friends had names. The handles, Cyber says. I don't know what that means. The handles, Cyber says. Okay. All right. So I didn't know what this meant at the beginning. Just real quick. This is breaking it as the author. I don't like to do this, but just real quick at the beginning. It said 1994 at the top, and I was like, well, why is it saying that? Why did you give me the year it was made? Yes, as a matter of fact, now I know that. So the name of this piece is called Intercore, 19, 1994. It's not in brackets, don't worry, if you submitted it, you didn't do anything wrong. But 
Uh, I didn't realize the 1990... I thought it was part of the title, 1994, because it wasn't in brackets. That's typically how I know something's written in a year. So, we're in 2010, which is 10 years ago, but it was 16 years ago in the future. And approximately in 1994, the vision of 2010 or so, not even 2010, just 2000, just a couple of years in the future in the 90s would be like Strange Days, a movie that nobody, I'm not going to use The Matrix, but there's a movie from the 90s called Strange Days. And the premise is there's like memory cards that you put on and then you feel somebody else's neural experience. So like if they fucked Jessica Alba and they had one of these cartridges in their head and then you put that cartridge in your head, you'd fuck Jessica Alba just like they experienced it, 100%. And so it's all about a movie about like changing experience. It's like Johnny Mnemonic, but not about memory inside someone's head. By the way, Johnny Mnemonic with Keanu Reeves about like cybers and spies and all that kind of stuff. Johnny Mnemonic, the amount of memory in Johnny Mnemonic's head was, was 320 megs. The most advanced computer memory system in the world was 320 megs. This file might be longer than that, the way that I fucking rambled tonight. I still think that shit's hilarious. So, like, tech in, like, the mid-1990s was really, really bad and really far off. Every car is flying. Every city's on fire and filled with homeless people. Everybody's on their devices all their time, and everything's controlled by a couple of news media corps that are just spewing things out on the airwaves, and nobody cares. There's a couple of tech barons that are on the coast. They're always greedy, and they really seem kind of like cartoon villains, and what I'm trying to say is the flying cars aren't here, so obviously they got a lot wrong. But this is very much a period in tech in the mid-'90s where people are, like, Sandra Bullock's The Net is 1993. Do you guys know who Sandra Bullock is? Sandra Bullock's The Net is 1993. And Sandra Bullock's The Net is a story where a woman logs online, and because she talks to a guy, she becomes part of a conspiracy for murder. So this is one year before Intercore. Now that we've gotten that all set, this is what the 1990s think. <laughs> the internet's going to be Neil Dim Neil Stevenson's Diamond Age was rocketing up the cyberpunk charts. Sandra Bullock's The Net was in hers. And Strange Days was coming out soon. That's your <laughs> technology 1990s report. I'm Casey Kasem. I was alive back then, so I can get... All right, one more time. Here we go. <clears throat> it was the fall of 2010, and my world wasn't safe. Too much out there to catch or catch you. The forces of law and order were coming down hard, blaming us for a world passing them by. That, and there were always new strains. Only my dead or missing friends had names. The handles, Cyber Says... The sender was a flaming hot number in the cyber sea, a dominatrix icon that played games with the boys' heads and played them ultimately well and safe. She earned, not taken, her ID. Bite bitch. She wasn't a girly, milking her tits for all the drooling boys. She was a hard dealer, no nonsense, 
and strained. They didn't like that. Expecting sugar and spice, not razors and sure, clear percentages. They'd stick with her license plate, and she'd kept it. Honesty, the best policy. Straight player to another, she invited me into her parlor, stripped that hot icon down to something molten and perverse. We exchanged digitized images of our faces. What a way to say selfie! What a way to say treated selfies! <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> There's literally, I literally just saw a Twitter hashtag that was trending was trading nudes. Literally just, just one of the trending Twitters was just hashtag trading nudes, nothing else. And look at all the fucking effort this motherfucker had to put into it. To try and explain the fact that a woman and a man might exchange naked pictures. This is amazing. Thank you for whoever suggested this. Ah. Okay. I really got to focus. We got to get fucking through this. This is amazing. <sighs> exchange digitized images of our faces. She was a bowl cut of dark shaded hair pooled brown eyes, plush lips, and cheeks to cut the dye on, a mix and match from somewhere Asian and someplace African. Then that message, an alt-sex freak. Location here, time now, and the deal was this. Oh, and bring your Toshika. I was there, not really a street, more of an alley. The sun eased itself onto jagged skyline teeth, the implement of a polluted red sunset. <laughs> cool shade, the perfume of urban life, piss and wine, the corpses of cars picked clean from their vulnerable meat and metal Pools of water and oil, not mixing on cracked streets. Saw no one, but that didn't mean anything. <laughs> kept, kept my hand in my pocket, wrapped around the cool little zilk automatic. Insane Frisco, Ring Gold Alley, south of Market. Didn't have to live in the city long to know the association. I stood before the gates to stud paradise, a graveyard full of memories and glorious gay alley sex. I found the spot, lit an over-the-counter joint, and waited. <laughs> he nailed that one. Well done. He nailed legal weed. <laughs> Congratulations. Selfies and legal weed, this guy's two for two. <clears throat> I waited, appreciating my drug work of art so much. I almost missed her. 
She walked with purpose down Ringgold, black plastic raincoat, cheap leather boots, a purple threadbare Zoe courier bag showing what her last straight job was, and coal mine shades. Invisible in the Soma turf, she was average enough not to catch the second glance. But I knew her. We'd fucked. But never in the flesh. But I knew her. We'd fucked. But never in the flesh. Cyber sea fucking. Interactive chat and visuals. Breasts just the right size for filling hands, she said. An electric cunt. Tight enough to rip condoms off, she said. We'd fucked many times, but I'd never seen her in the flesh. And I never asked her for her real name. Trust. Bite bitch saw me. Didn't smile. The brown eyes behind the shades might have, but I had no way of knowing. On this corner with me was the pink clean corpse of a sob. <laughs> this guy is his need to talk about the s what <laughs> Someone remind me about car scavenging. We gotta get through this. <clears throat> she moved to the pitted fender and propped herself against it. Cyber says, get comfy. Dropping her bag onto the grimy alley mug, she pulled a cig out of her plastic pockets, lit up with the finger-sick flame of a self-defense hot point lighter, and took a long drag of amplified tobacco. Then, a quick flick into a puddle of mostly oil, and it came to a hissing end. My joint followed. And she pushed off the fender. I got out my camera. My beautiful Japanese Toshika, direct disc job, small and light, straight to read-write CD. <laughs> yeah! In my other hand was another little German automatic with its clip of detonator nylon rounds in case of trouble. My extra hand for my dick. Her Soma standard black latex gloved hands were on either side of her Soma standard black plastic coat. She arched and tugged, the first three straps letting loose, showing in a flash her valley of pale tit. The start of those hand-filling breasts. Hint of something firm and black holding them up, leaning back against the sobs one intact headlight. Running black glove fingers over the slope, eyes hidden and safe behind the black shades as I let my little Toshika focus itself and start to tape. Jesus Christ. The bra was black cloth. <laughs> Simple, with no stain. After all the fucking techno-babble bullshit, the bra was black cloth. The bra was black cloth. Can't even be like a bland, can't even be like ultra cloth. Can't even be like lycra cloth. Can't even be fucking anything. No, even the baddest bitch in the world. 
She's still just holding them chips up with fucking cloth. What's a sports bra made out of? Not simple cloth. <laughs> At least advance some cloth of some sort. Oh, bite bitch. What are you doing? It's like you're some kind of male sex fantasy. The blah was black cloth. Simple with no stains. One black glove hand had swooped down into the right cup. Came up with a white mound of tit. Red dot of nipple at the tip. She let it fall outside her bra. Red nipple, wrinkled and angry. Pointed at me and my lens. I focused as she gripped it between black fingers and twisted, pulled. Those glasses still on, she hissed and arched backwards, glass headlight pressing into her ass. How short is she? How tall is my... Come, someone find out what a 94 fucking sob heights is. Somebody find out what the height of a 94 sob is that she pressing her ass against a headlight. Right now, so I'm dead serious. Somebody find out what the height of a goddamn 94 sob is before I'm done reading this. <laughs> We're gonna get an impression of this fucking sexy girl. <clears throat> All right, angry nipple. She put <laughs> those glasses still on. She hissed and arched backwards, glass headlight pressing into her ass. The one she said was strong enough to crack balls and walnuts. I taped. More abuse to that tit, pulling and twisting, holding it straight out from the gleaming black plastic coat by a nipple. In the fine Japanese sight, black lacquered fingernails flashed, showing what was under the glove, and it flopped to the ground. Dead bird! and traced the sculpture of that tit. A pinch of soft skin. Another hiss. Still taping. Zoom out. The pair were out to play. Twin mounds of soft white skin. Rosy pinpoints out and up. Erect. She leaned against the auto corpse. <laughs> Both tits out of the cooling high air, held up by the useless bra. <laughs> well, three for three, three for three. He got some. He's got some things right. You gotta hand it to him. Black lacquered nails dipped into the plastic pocket, dug around, and came up with nasty surprises. <laughs> The first clothespin, intimate pink plastic against her pale skin, just above her left nipple. The next followed part of the pattern, cheap blue plastic one. Slowly, she clipped each plastic clip after the previous, slowly working her way around the tit. What a sense. A circle of plastic. Hard-toothed, clamp ring that one tit, flower with the hard button of a tough nipple in the center, hand and little unsteady, black one this time, special color for a special, special place. When she let go, it sank in a plastic mouth, hard down this already hard button, and the hiss that worked its way between the perfect plastic teeth turned from moan to scream 
in the urban asshole of Ringold Alley. Left followed right, a black-nailed hand dipped into the pocket of pratted another line of clamps. Soon, two flowers stared at my fine limbs, two flowers of plastic clamps around perfectly conical tits. The one from the center of the left was so standard, black too, as it bit down, echoing the right. Her scream echoed off of the post-industrial wasteland. As I focused and watched that last one go up, night three flew itself down on us. The streetlight hummed and winked on, nailed by hard light, bite bitch, staggered back against the pain of her self-imposed torture. Panting, she gripped one side, then the other side of the plastic raincoat. Snap, snap. Snap, snap. No underwear. Bare crease. Cleft of a smooth, polished cunt. No, no stubble. Industrial shaving for her. She went wet, and she shone and gleamed in the streetlight's hard arc stare. The cleft was a reflective streak between a plush valentine mons. She leaned back on the fender and rubbed a palm against her cunt, pressing hard and up, touching palm and clit, rough, ham-handed masturbation. Because when I think dominatrix is touching themselves... One foot anchored, and the other hoisting herself up upon the remains of the headlight mount. Braced, she spread her legs, one against the greasy guts of the brake assembly. Legs spread, she cupped her cunt with one black-nailed hand. I taped. I taped. I taped. Black like a beetle's black, those polished fingernails went around the red bed of hard, hard clit. <laughs> hard, hard clit! Let's jot that one down. Then inside of the bitch's cunt, back and forth, back and forth, a liquid action, repetitive and slow. I taped and taped. And her hand got wetter and wetter. Beautiful shot. Her hand, her wrist, her arms reflecting the shine of that streetlight, wet from her juice. Bite bitch hopped off, turned, and I caught it all. She whipped around, the black raincoat flying, wrapping itself around her. Her ass walked backwards towards me. <laughs> her legs pale... <laughs> That image is just, just, image is just so great. It's just cheek by cheek. Her ass walked backwards towards me. Her legs, pale and white, food scuffed, looking like little black cats playing in the junk. She moaned, 
like a deep-throated kitten getting barked. We got to read this fucking paragraph again. Holy shit, this is the mother load. We finally found it. We found the worst paragraph we've ever fucking read. For sure, this beats search circle of magical circle of sexual threat. Absolutely. Down 1,000%. Here we go. <clears throat> Bite bitch hopped off, turned, and I caught it all. She whipped around, the black raincoat flying, wrapping itself around her. Her ass walked backwards towards me, her legs pale and white, boots scuffed, looking like little black cats playing in the junk. She moaned like a deep-throated kitten getting barbed dick. The raincoat flipped up and over her. Bare and perfect. Her ass was full and round. With her legs spread, everything was there for the cold night and the colder lens of my camera. Twin cheeks curving up and down and around to a pair of plush, wet cunt lips. The glow was real and wet under the hard lights. Her lips were parted, churning with her rough jerking off. Three... Four, was her hand in there, fisting herself in the harsh light? I saw and taped her lips squirm and bubble with pussy juice. Her moans became hard and quick, forced and stubborn. She grunted while jerking off deep masculine sounds. I thought her cunt was going to swallow her, black lacquer and all. I focused and watched, focused and watched precise crosshairs on a wide wet cunt foamed and slipped from her juice <laughs> she's got a mad dog in her pussy <laughs> this explains why she was moaning like an animal when her ass was walking backwards it's actually just the sound of the fucking animal trying to get out of her pussy <laughs> Trying to shake it out. <laughs> Woo! There are some real fucking old school metaphors in this cyber, in this cyberpunk fuck up. Oh shit! Oh my god! Who knew getting laid in the wasteland was so complicated? They haven't even begun the sex. <clears throat> I focused and watched, focused and watched, precise crosshairs on a wide, wet cunt foamed and slick from her juice. Thighs shimmering, clit, a perfect shot, a red marble when she pulled back her pointed collection of wet fingertips. I taped, numbers flowing, light levels, a rocking bar graph. Flickering, fluttering digital time. Taping, taping. Her moans changed like changing shots. I noticed it, the way you suddenly realize how dark it's gotten. Blink, blink, night. Blink, blink. Her moans were restrained, corked. An acrobatic flip. Flashes of white, the other colors from the mother-loving clothespin on the other nipples and tits. I caught perfectly trapped, her mouth stuffed with plastic cock. 
Saliva ran down her chin and added gleam to her cleavage. Then, slowly, she drew inches and inches of flat plastic sword from her mouth, its head slipping past her lips, trailing threads of spit. It went between her legs, all the marvelous details. One leg went up. One hand flashed between her wet thighs for the lips of her wet pussy, and she spread her lips. The other hand snaked the wet dildo in. Inch, inch, inch. It went up her. Her original moans and cries back again with full rutting volume. Bite bitch, bent for the camera, leaning back away from me, eyes still unreadable behind dark shades, mouth open and panting. She swallowed the plastic dick with her cunt mouth. One hand stayed between her legs, details lost behind the black coat you could see in the final footage after tweaking and re-enhancements. What she was doing, rubbing and stroking and pulling on that red marble between her wet cunt lips for all she was worth. The other hand was fucking herself with the tildo. Sitting in the dark safety later with my cock and drugs, you could hear her, the rutting bitch, and the sound of herself fucking. Good sound quality, those Japanese. A chorus of wet slaps and sucks, perfectly muted and transmogrified by the flesh sound of her cunt and ass. No sound track needed. As her coming came, she rolled off the sob, and I tracked and followed, taping, and crouched down, squatting above the wrinkled filth, and there for me, for the camera. Shielded eyes up and pleaded to the audience, she parted the cloak to show it, show her impalement of her plastic pail. In all its magnificence, ah, the details, dark cherry clit, like a wet blister between her slick lits, black plastic cock, in and out, in and out, still driving by her other hand, perfectly timed with her shuddering moan, it flopped out of her cunt like a beached fish. It slipped onto the dirty asphalt and rolled into the gutter, picking up dirt, grit, and sparkling sand from the ground down bottles by the broken windshields. She came again, moaning deep and frantically, battling away from the clothespins, snapping them off like hungry, stinging flies she suddenly realized were all over <laughs> When the ones on her nipples finally let go, she went zinging into a chain-link fence and clicking against the dead sob. <laughs> Exhausted, deflated, she collapsed. Blight, bite bitch slid down her own black raincoat, legs kicking out from under her. She sat there for some time, panting, tits going up and down, up and down, beads of sweat raining from softening nipples. Got it all. 
When she had recovered enough, she no longer saw lights in front of her eyes, and when she was together enough to stand, button her coat, grab her bag, pick up her gloves, adjust her hair in shades, she started off down the severely lit street. I waited to make sure none of the shadows followed her. Then I checked my Toshika, watched it all in the tiny viewfinder. All there, every last bite. Later tonight, in code disguised as trivia, as something hopefully below examination, as it would go sailing out to the sea, profits being split between the star and the crew, she trusted me to do a fair deal. There's the last bottom line. Trust. She needed someone to hold the camera, put it together, and do nothing else. She was trusting me to do it and share the profits from the only game left in town. <clears throat> that was Intercore by M. Christian, written 26 years ago, approximately. Boy, I wish I'd made other cyber, some other uh, sci-fi references, some cyberpunk references, some Blade Runner references, maybe, some Neil Stevenson Diamond Age, some Deliverator references or what have you, because that would have gone perfect. But how great an accidentally themed um, show it was, because I talked about sci-fi a lot. I'm sorry, the person who submitted that has made themselves known, and they said where they got... They got it from. They said they got it from the Best of American Erotica in 1994. Well, I'm going to have to disagree. Going to have to disagree. <laughs> ah. So, since that's some of the best and that's some of the most depressing stuff I've ever heard, pay daddy so he can drink his pain away. Pay, pay daddy so he can drink some of that pain away. Eat some, eat some apocalypse away. All right, so where, what is the height of a 1994 sob? Four foot seven is the height of the sob itself or the headlight? Four foot seven's the height of the whole thing. So her ass. Thank you very much for saying it was a good reading. It was That was a challenge, I'm not going to lie. So her ass cheek is against the one headlight of the sob. Which means if it's 4-7 and people are mostly torso, that means that bite bitch is like 4 foot 6. 4 foot 5, 4 foot 4, 4 foot 3... So she's nothing but tits and clothespins fucking her mouth and pussy for all the goddamn losers who are going to jerk off for her later that night. And this guy this entire time is telling this story about how he's the guy who films it. I wish it was in a junkyard. No, they just filmed it in an alley off a main streetway where all the cars were looted of their, and I quote, flesh... Now, that would be fine if he didn't say and, but he said, like, flesh and, like, something like components? What the fuck is flesh if not the components? 
Were the cars, flesh and metal, were the cars not entirely, are they organic cars? Because let's fucking talk about that. That's fucking fast. Are there organic cars in, 19, in 2010 in this guy's universe? Let's fucking get down with that. What the fuck is he talking about? I love that in 2010 he still has to have the bring the CD drive for his digital camera. He's a professional too, so it's a high-level CD drive that reads and writes in 1990 in 2010. So he's got to bring his camera, but he's also got to bring the CD driver with him. He's like, oh, I got to plug it in. You got to plug it in on the site. Got to burn that CD on the site. Oh, I've taken the camera back home, and then I couldn't upload it to the Cyber Sea. Just to be clear. We called it the internet in 1993. Just to be clear, it was called the net in the Sandra Bullock movie, 1993. We called it the internet in 1993. World Wide Web, sure. WWW, World Wide Web, sure. But I'm just saying, we had the internet. And we never found out what the intercore was. I think maybe he forgot. I think maybe he forgot what intercores were? Because they were not essential to that story whatsoever. What I do like is that you have to be a gigolo to survive in this wasteland, because I am one. Pay me. And that I understand. I go with, what were the three? What were the three that he got right? Okay, legal weed. Selfies. <laughs> Although the way he described them was amazing. Hold on, let me describe the way he said selfies again one more time. <clears throat> we exchange digitized images of our faces. <laughs> that is amazing. Just for that, it's worth it. Just, just for that. Just for that. Because everything was an acronym back then. Everything was an acronym back in the fucking 90s sci-fi. So that would have had to have been an acronym. We would be we. We exchange. We exchange. Wed. Wed if. We wed ifed. Did you wed if her? We wed ifed her. Oh, I wed ifed her real good. <laughs> I wed ifed her all night long. <laughs> All right, guys, that's the show. Come out next Friday. Come out with your stuff. If you want to see me, if you want a sexy story, you're going to go ahead and give me a sexy story because this is the only story I was gotten or was given. It was very, very good, and I enjoyed it very much, and I'd love to read more of your silly stories. If you have a silly story, you're going to come out and give it to me. I forgot to do quick quotes. Apologies. I know you guys like it so much. Thank you again for coming on out. Everybody who is reviewing the podcast, everybody who's supporting the podcast, everybody who's promoting on social media and all the rest, thank you for that. The best place right now to get up to the information on the project, what I'm doing, and all the rest is at R-E-A-L-G-R-E-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. I generally almost always say right when I'm about to do something on Twitter, won't you follow me there? Thank you guys for putting up with me and how grouchy I've been over COVID-19 and all the rest of it this month. I've, I've tried to put it in a positive way. I've tried to be in a good mood. Your support, your encouragement, all the rest of it has meant the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Come out to a live show. I want to see you there. Every girl who says something, I appreciate it and you. I know I've been grouchy in the past. I know I am doing my best. I'm in treatment. I'm in therapy. I'm really, really trying to really just put on the 
best show I can. I know that things are frustrating out there. You want to come. You want to have a good show. I want you to. Won't you come out? Won't you say hello? It would mean the world to me. Fridays, 10 Eastern. Thank you again. Goodbye. See you next week. Goodbye. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on out. Appreciate it. Miss you. Bye.